am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Today's gospel, the first of the five, tells the story of the feeding of the 5,000 plus men, plus women and children. This story of Jesus miraculously feeding the huge crowd is full of images of the Holy Eucharist. We are told in all four Gospels, and by the way, most of these stories, these miracles, don't appear in all four Gospels, but this one does. We are told in all four Gospels that Jesus ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass, and one, taking the five loaves and the two fish, two, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing or gave thanks, Three, he broke the loaves, and four, he gave them to the disciples. I'm about to tell you something about the greatness of Anglicanism, which is of utmost importance. It is what separates us from non-denom churches and, and other Protestant bodies. Back in August of 1941, one of my favorite Liturgical writers Dom Gregory Dix uh, of Nashdom Abbey, England, delivered a paper to the general chapter of the Cowley Fathers, who were a great community of Anglican monks. And from that paper grew a classic book on the Eucharist entitled The Shape of the Liturgy. And Dix says in his introduction, what I have tried to understand is not only when and how, but why that shape of the liturgy took and kept the shape that it has. This book discusses what Christian liturgy is. He reminds us that according to the New Testament account of the Last Supper, the Lord performed seven actions. Jesus took bread, he gave thanks over the bread, he broke the bread, he distributed the bread, he took the cup, he gave thanks over the cup, and he gave the cup to his disciples. It has been the liturgical practice of the church ever since those earliest days of Jesus and the apostles to, con to, to consolidate these seven actions into four actions. Jesus took, he gave thanks, he broke, and he gave. Every Sunday here at St. Timothy's, at the offertory, Representatives from the congregation, usually our altar guild, process the people's offering of bread and wine, and they are taken by the priest at the altar. That's the first action Jesus took. In the Eucharistic prayer, every Sunday, the priest on behalf of the people gives thanks, which, by the way, is what the Greek word for Eucharist means, thanksgiving. We call this Eucharistic prayer at the altar the great thanksgiving. That's the second action, Jesus gave thanks. After the great amen to the Eucharistic prayer and after the Lord's prayer, which by the way also has the common theme of bread, give us this day our daily bread, the priest then takes the bread, breaks the bread, is what we call the fraction. And that's the third action, Jesus broke. The priest and others then distribute communion to the congregation, the body and blood of Christ, what we believe is the sacramental real presence of Christ himself. And that's the fourth action Jesus gave. So Jesus 
Jesus took, Jesus gave thanks, Jesus broke, and Jesus distributed the bread. And that's what we have in the feeding of the 5,000 story today. That huge crowd of 5,000 plus people that Jesus had just fed both spiritually in some gospels all day long through his teaching and healing, but also physically through the giving of the, of the fish and the loaves. They did not understand the meaning behind the miracle of the loaves and they wanted to make Jesus this great king because he gave them what they needed, what they wanted. In other words, they really liked the trick with the fish and the bread and so they set out to draft Jesus as some sort of permanent supply officer. So Jesus sends his disciples off in a boat on the Sea of Galilee while he himself spends time by himself in prayer. And then he leaves that place and sets out to join the disciples on the water. This is where we come to the part of Jesus walking on the water. It's a miracle overflowing with biblical images having to do with the power of God. To understand this miracle of Jesus walking on the water, we need to remember that God separated the waters of chaos in the beginning to create the world in which we live. We have to remember that God, through Moses, separated the waters of the Red Sea to create the people of Israel. We have to remember that God, through Joshua and Elijah, separated the waters of the Jordan River to possess and to renew the land of promise. And all of this ancient connection with the power of God and the control over water, over the sea, is involved in this same story, this combination story of the feeding of the 5,000 and Jesus walking on the water. And Jesus comes to his disciples by doing what God did at creation. He overcomes the power of the sea. And by doing this, Jesus reveals in himself the full authority and the power of his Father. And for all that spectacular, symbolic, powerful stuff that went into this business of walking on the water, that walk is not the most important part of this story. There's something even more amazing that is going on, something more powerful. The real heart of the story is not that Jesus walked on the water, but that this is a continuation of the story of the loaves and the fish, the story of Jesus feeding us with the food that really matters. The crowd, they didn't understand that. They didn't, and they wanted to make Jesus their king. The disciples, they didn't understand that, but they were truly amazed and astounded. They just didn't know why. As we gather week after week to celebrate the Holy Eucharist, and as we are sent out week after week with the commission to know, love, serve, and obey the Lord, we are called to understand about the loaves. To understand about the loaves means that we begin first to realize that Jesus is with us no matter how bad the storm, no matter how far from land our little boat might be, no matter how impossible the trip from where Jesus is to where we are may seem. God is with us. To understand about the loaves means that we begin to realize that everything Jesus gives us Every free lunch we pick up on the hill, every benefit of life, every blessing of every sort, indeed everything that God offers to us, it is all a sign of the one great gift 
the gift of God himself, the gift of relationship with God. And to seek just a gift or to stop at any gift like that crowd who wanted to make Jesus the bread king, to do this is to trade the best for the good and to lose sight of what is really important. Everything that we have is intended to draw us to God. Every single thing we have is intended to draw us to God. To understand about the loaves is to realize that what we do at this altar every time we meet has to do with the same power, the same majesty, the same love, the very same presence that both the crowd on the mountains and the disciples in the boat knew and saw. For here at the altar, our Lord feeds us. And the heart of that feeling is not the gift of bread, but it is the gift of Christ himself. To understand about the loaves is to realize that whatever fears we might have, they can be met by the love we are given from our Lord. It is to realize that whatever powers are grinding us to a halt can and will be met by an even greater power and that this Christian journey we travel together will end in safety. We need the assurance that comes from knowing that at those times when our hearts are really troubled, and that happens a lot in this world, when we feel most helpless, that Christ indeed comes to us. Jesus comes across the troubled water. Jesus comes to us in the Holy Eucharist, says to us, do not be afraid, it is I. And as he did to Peter in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus beckons us to leave the security of our boats, beckons us to walk on the water. Folks, this is powerful imagery if we just think about it. He beckons each one of us every day to walk on the water. I don't know what walking on water might mean for you. It means different things for different people. I'll tell you about a junior high student named Nikki, a girl who learned to walk on the water. When Nikki was in the seventh grade, she was diagnosed with this horrible disease, leukemia. She went through all of the necessary chemo, along with the resulting loss of hair. To be different as a seventh grader, as you may remember, is a kind of death. Without hair, Nikki was very different from her peers. Kids would sneak up behind her and snatch her wig. People would stare and laugh. No one would sit with her in the cafeteria or in math class, and the lockers on either side of her locker were vacated. Nikki told her parents that she could handle losing her hair. With her faith in God, she could handle losing her life. But the hardest part of her illness, she said, was losing her friends. Nikki's parents had given her permission to stay home from school, but Nikki decided not to do that because she'd heard a story about a seventh grader in Arkansas who was bullied for bringing his Bible to school with him. And one day the boy handed the Bible to his biggest tormentor and he said, here, see if you've got enough courage to carry this Bible even one day here at school. 
she found out that those three bullies became his three friends. Nikki set out for school the next Monday as usual. Her parents drove her. When she got to school, Nikki hugged and kissed her parents goodbye. Then she said, Mom, Dad, I want you to guess what I'm going to do today. And her eyes they began to tear up a little bit. She said, today I'm going to find out who my friends are. And she took off her wig and she placed it on the car seat. And she said, they, they take me for who I am, Daddy, or they don't take me at all. I don't have much time left. I've got to find out who my friends are. And then Nikki asked for her parents' prayers, and she walked into that school. And not a single person bullied her that day. People of God, I don't know what walking on the water means for you. It might mean inviting your next-door neighbor to church. It might mean joining a Bible study. It might mean signing up for the Holy Spirit weekend here in September. It might mean overcoming some kind of serious illness. It might even mean dying a holy death. All I'm saying is don't let fear defeat you. Know that Christ Jesus is ever present with you. And I remember when my son Nicholas, who plays in this band, uh, was very young, very young, much afraid of the dark as many of us were at our young age. Um, for a time, he slept at night in sort of a makeshift crib next to my side of the bed. And oftentimes, he'd wake up during the night and he, we would hear his little voice, Daddy, it's dark, with fear in his voice. And when in answer, I had taken hold of his lifted hand to let him know that his mommy and daddy were right there beside him, he would sink quietly back to sleep, all of his fears being taken away. We too, in our fears and our troubles, we have a father to whom we can cry out, Father, it is so dark. We've experienced that darkness in this world. And when we cry out to the father, we will hear his voice saying to us, do not be afraid. Step out of the boat and walk on the water with me. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.